Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Cap City Sportscast. My name is Callahan Steed. I cover the Monona Grove Silver Eagles, the McFarland Spartans, the Cambridge Blue Jays, and the Deerfield Demons. I'm Ryan Gregory. I have the Sun Prairie Schools, Marshall, and Waterloo. And Peter will be joining us in a little bit. He has Wanakee, Lodi, DeForest, and Poinette. But also two special guests that we have on today's episode, episode 50, we have joining us uh, via phone. Uh, is McFarland football coach Paul Ackley. So, Coach Ackley, thanks for coming on. Episode 50, couldn't have had any better guests for it. Well, here we go, yeah, 50th, uh, 50th episode. That's pretty. That's a special one, so I'm uh, honored to be part of it. So oh, thanks. just in time. And here's Peter as well. Now we're ready to go. Yeah, Peter just <laughs> walked in, so, yeah. Um, well, welcome, Peter. All right, perfect. So, yeah, Coach, um, with everything going on, how are things looking so far for the uh, program and uh, how have practices been going so far for you guys? Yeah, you know, things are, are things are going well overall. Um, you know, obviously just a second day into practice coming into the third one today, so we finally get to put on our shoulder pads because we obviously have to be following the acclimatization rules set up by the WIAA in regards to kind of the, the slow transition of getting your athletes ready to go. And on a day like today, that's important. Uh, you know, we're hitting 89, 90 degrees in the Madison area. So, you know, to make sure that our athletes are acclimatizing appropriately is always a good thing. So, you know, two days in helmets, you know, you have a lot of learning going on. So we do some classroom work. We do some on-field work. We do a lot of film give kids an opportunity to see it themselves during the practices, you know, a lot of pad work and, um, you know, just a lot of learning. So it's, it's a good group of young men. They're working hard as always. And uh, we had a lot of seniors on the team last year that had a lot of playing experience from their sophomore year to their senior year. So we're taking some time to really kind of dive into our playbook a little bit, coach to the personnel that we have and kind of get, uh, get everybody on board and get them going in the right direction when it comes to the, the learning of our schemes offensively, defensively, and special teams. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, fun year for you guys last year. I mean, you start off with some really tough uh, teams where you played them hard right down to the end with Mount Horeb and Lodi. Uh, and then you had a tough game against Monroe where you had a couple injuries. You lost your starting quarterback, Cooper Kennedy. Uh, but then next week, that following week against Jefferson, you guys were able to really just flip the season with a 35 nothing victory. And then I believe you guys won six straight going into the playoffs. Just how are you guys able to manage uh, kind of a turbulent season like that where, you know, you're 0-3 and you're without your starting quarterback, and how are you guys able to recover from that? Yeah, you know, definitely. We And in sports, coaches and players all talk about adversity, right? And and we knew right off the bat that, you know, Mount Hor week one, Lodi week two, and, you know, the uh, future state champions of last year, Monroe, uh, number three, and the first game of our conference, we knew we knew right away that we were going to be tested. And I think what helped us with that is just how we played in those games. Um, you know, the... The Lodi game was a very exciting football game. Uh, Dave and I and, and Lodi and McFarland have been playing each other for many, many years. It's an old Capital Conference rivalry back in the, the days of when, when I was playing here at McFarland. And it was just so it's always been good to have that connection. But Dave is running a great program over there. We've had great games with them over the years. And that was a very exciting football game. It was back and forth, high scoring. You know, we had some unfortunate situations that occurred kind of near the end of the game that didn't quite go our way, and the ball bounced a few different ways. And 
uh, but we were, we fought to the end. And I knew right then and there that that team had it in them just to continue to fight, right? No matter what they were going to face, they were a strong group of senior leaders that you know knew we were going to be battle tested right off the bat. And you know, we just said to ourselves, listen, you know, it's it's not about where we're at right now. It's going to be where we're at nine weeks from now, right? Or or at the end of the season. And we have some opportunities here in our conference to get back some wins and, and hopefully do well. And that next week against Jefferson was one of those weeks. And that you know, that it just kept going, whether it was Delavan or Whitewater, Edgerton or Evansville or East Troy. Um, you know, our kids came to play and losing Cooper was a huge loss for our program. He was a you know a three-year starter coming into his senior year, all-conference kid, um, and just his heart and soul was in football. You know, he also participated in baseball here at McFarland, but he he loved and still loves to be a, a a quarterback, and he loves the game, and he was a student of the game, and he and our offensive coordinator Pete Willikit just had a great connection, and uh, we missed Cooper. We missed Cooper uh, a lot on that field, but the one one great thing about Cooper is that his leadership didn't leave us when his injury occurred. Uh, in fact, I think it even got a little stronger, to be very honest with you. And uh, one of the comments that he said to me, and it stuck with me for quite some time, is he says, you know, same goal, just a different role. And I thought that was a very mature comment from a young man who's put everything into his senior year to have a great season and unfortunately had it taken away with an injury in that first conference game. Yeah, absolutely. And so with all those uh, guys that you are, you know, having to replace with all that production, um, just kind of what are you looking for for some of like the battles that you have? You don't have to name, obviously, your starters yet. We can chat about that when I come to practice one of these days. And the listeners can read about it in the paper as well, too. Um, But but yeah, when uh, you're looking at these position battles, just what are some of the things you're looking for? And, you know, what do you want to see from the kids that, you know, are in a tight battle right now? Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing we try to strive here at McFarland, and, and I've, been, I've been trying to instill it in our program for quite some time now, is just inter-squad competition is a great thing, right? We're not a huge school. You know, we, we don't have a, a multitude of kids out for football. We're at about 80 kids, uh, 9th through 12th grade, which is great for us. We're, I'm very happy with that number, so it shows me that, you know, kids are still wanting to participate student athletes are still wanting to participate in football which i greatly appreciate now with all the other things that they have available to them it's nice to know that they still want to be involved in their high school football team uh but i think you know inter-squad competition and just the the understanding that i gotta work hard right i gotta work hard to get things uh that i want to achieve and they're not just going to be given to me and i have to earn it you know, I think that's a message that we want to send loud and clear to our student athletes on our football program that, hey, listen, you know, when you come to practice, you got to be ready to go, not only on the field with your attitude and your effort, but also in the classroom, right? We do a lot of classroom work where we're watching film or putting the installs in and going over game plans. And, you know, it's, it's a balance. It's a balance of knowing the effort you need to put in on the field during the practice time, but also the effort that you have to put in off the field in the classroom, not only academically, so you stay eligible, right? That's a huge thing in high school sports, but also just, you know, put in the classroom when it comes to learning our schemes and our, and our offensive plays and our defensive plays and special team activities and things of that nature. So hard work, determination, 
positive attitude, right confidence in in, in your skills, and uh, you know just go fight for that position and make your team better, make yourself better. I think a lot of the life lessons too are just a lot of lessons that you learn from the football team could be applied to just life as well too. I was talking with my colleagues uh, the other day that I was out at a football practice shooting and uh, the head coach was just kind of talking about like, you know, this is the kind of life lessons that you'll use in life, you know, showing up on time, putting in the hard work and everything like that. And yeah, it should be a lot of fun for you guys uh, going into the season. I'll let Ryan and Peter here give you a couple questions as well, too, so that way I'm not taking up the whole time. So, Ryan, I guess if you want one, you go for it. Hey, Coach. Uh, Ryan Gregory here. Um, you know, I don't have to tell you that time is very much of the essence in this week and the coming week where, you know, so much has to get done and then games seem to start at the snap of a finger. And so, you know, you've been at McFarland long enough now. Has there been any, you know, tricks of the trade or other ways to kind of like speed up whether it's installing the playbook or maybe you know just getting the kids on the field in a timelier manner manner that you've picked up that kind of you know shaves that maybe 10 minutes you would have wasted off of that and gets you you know a little bit more focused and a little bit more driven to get things done as quickly as possible yeah you know two words as i'm listening to your question it's ryan correct yes yeah, so two words that come to my mind, Ryan, when, when you were asking me that question was, number one, consistency, and, and number two, efficiency. Uh, you know, I've been blessed to be at McFarland for, this will be the start of my 19th season uh, as head coach here, and my staff overall has been fairly consistent. Uh, I've had kind of two staffs. I've had a, kind of my earlier years, I had a staff that was with me from year one to about year 12. And then now coming from year 12 to 13 onto this one, I've had consistency in my staff. And so the kids know what to expect, right? They know what offense we're going to be running. And of course, you know, I've always thought that the key to high school success is, sure, I have a system offensively and defensively. But we have to coach to the personnel that we have, right? I mean, I can't just force a system onto a group of young athletes. I have to look at what we have and what's available and what does the talent allow us to do. And we're able to tweak and change a few of our our systems in regards to that. But the kids know what to expect from the coaches, right? And, And we're consistent with our expectations, our accountability, uh, consistent with our, our practicing and our planning, our installing, you know, all of those things. And then the efficiency part comes in is we've done a really nice job as a coaching staff, in my opinion, of really looking at our practice plans and the amount of time we have the kids on the field. What are we doing on the field? What's the length of our segments? One of the best things we've done is gone to a segment-based practice system. And this was a few years ago, probably about a handful of years ago, where, you know, We'd have a clock, you know, a segment timer. It shows what segment we're in, the time that we have, and it keeps us on track as coaches. So it's just, you know, it does happen quick, right? I mean, it's like, okay, here we go. August 1st, we started football. August 11th, we have a scrimmage, you know. Um, it's like we got to be ready. And then next thing you know, August 18th, you're playing football. And I think just being able to be consistent with our staff and our preparation and be efficient with our planning and our practicing allows us to be ready for those early opportunities in the season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Peter, do you got any questions you want to give well, Coach Ackley? Uh, speaking of uh, getting to things on time, I, I have to apologize for being late. <laughs> but uh, uh, well, we, have same, <laughs> we have a saying here at McFarland I'll share it with you because I got it from Roger Harry, my college football coach. 
it's if you're early, you're on time. <laughs> if you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, you're forgotten. Yeah, that's so, right. We won't, we won't forget about you this time. Okay. If you come to a McFarland football meeting late, you might hear me say that. <laughs> Peter was also doing other radio <laughs> adventures as well, too. So he at least he just gets a pass. Yeah, he wasn't like out getting a bite to eat or something. Right, right. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. No, no worries, Peter. Okay. Well, uh, I guess uh, you probably went through a lot of this with your last answer, uh, but what's been kind of the biggest change you've seen in high school football over the years oh boy that's a really good question um you know i i think that we've had a lot of i don't want to say i don't know if i know the right word for this we've had a lot of struggles in the fact uh in a few things in, in high school football in the state of wisconsin number one has been start date we've talked a lot as a coaches association in regards to you know are we starting too early you know, August 1st. Now, again, now that's going to be the earliest that we can ever start, right? Uh, it's going to be the first Tuesday in August. So next year, our start date is August 6th. So kind of we call that a rollback year. The calendar rolls back. We go August 6th for a start date in 24, and then we go back to, you know, the 5th, the 4th, the 3rd, and then so on. And then once we hit the 1st again or whatever that might be, then it rolls back again. So, you know, I think a lot of the times we talk about start dates, you know, I mean, we are going to be participating and playing in a scrimmage and three football games before these kids even open the door to their high schools. And, you know, we start to think about that and the fact that, well, yeah, boy, that really stinks for the kids because you know the, they're not in classes with their buddies or friends to get them to come to the games. But, you know, we also got to think about the other aspect of this is like a high school football game on a Friday night in a community is a big deal. And there's a lot of things that go into that. And, you know, the marching band, the dance team, the cheerleaders, you know, the event workers, all of these things that make these events run and make them a big deal for your community, that might not be possible because you're doing this before school. Now, we, we're, we, have four, we only have four home games this year, right? And our marching band, which is a huge part of our Friday night atmosphere, and then our director, Ben Peterson, and our marching band, we have a great tradition with McFarland Marching Band at the, at the high school events, especially at a high school football game, they're going to march in two football games this year. Mm. You know, because our, our first football game is August 18th. Well, the band hasn't even started practicing to get formations ready and things of that nature, right? So there's some missed opportunities, I think, to really develop a education-based high school event for your community and your school when we're participating in these events three weeks prior to school even starting. So I, and I don't know what the answer is. I don't have the answer. And I usually don't like to talk about things I don't have answers to, but that, that's, that's one of the issues that I think, right? Yeah. I think, you know, I think one of the things that we also talked about um, was just health and the safety of our athletes, especially when it comes to head safety and concussions. You know, we, we've, we've been really working hard as a state a state organization and the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association, but also in the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, the WIA, in making sure that we are providing, you know, training, education, and proper equipment for our athletes and, and our coaches, too, to make sure that we're keeping kids safe. Um, I don't, I'll be very honest with you. I think football is about as safe as it's ever been with the education that the coaches get the quality of the equipment that we're putting on these kids. I mean, a high school football helmet right now costs 
$385 to $750. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh. You know? <laughs> yep. and, and no idea it costs that much. It's crazy. Wow. You know, it's just absolutely crazy what this equipment is coming. But we have to put the kids in these in, in the right equipment. So I think there's been a few of those issues. I don't know, Peter, if I can give you, like, what's the biggest issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are some of the quick things off the top of my head that I think, you know, we just we got to continue to promote football as a safe and, and healthy sport. And we're doing some really good things to the WIA and making sure that we're acclimatizing our athletes. We have practice regulations on the amount of hitting that we're doing in the practice. We have education for the parent, the athlete, and the coach in regards to concussion and sudden cardiac arrest, which is becoming more of an issue across the nation with football. Um, and so I just feel like, yeah, there's, there's issues out there. I feel we're addressing them the right way. But, again, I think those are just things that we have to continue to be aware of. Yeah, that is also nuts. Uh, Peter and I both kind of looked at each other with the price of a helmet. We did not realize it was that expensive, but I guess that is such a good thing that, you know, we're going in the right direction on safety. And I mean, as much as it stinks to see, you know, when I watch professionally, like a favorite player of mine get a concussion or something like that, the one positive note I look from it is, you know, maybe it's a good thing that they're monitoring concussions more and they're taking health and safety a little bit better. Um, and also, too, I definitely want hunt, I think all three of us agree with the uh, football coaches with uh, the start date kind of being maybe a little too early. I would love yeah. to see it push back like a week or two just so that way you're getting those games in September and October. But it's I guess that's yeah, how the thing rolls. Yeah, and there's a lot that goes into that. So I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be part of the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association Executive Board. So we have a president who's Brian Kaminsky over in Sun Prairie. We have two vice presidents, one in the southern part of the state, which is the role I currently have, and then a, a, a Tom Yashinsky, the head coach on Alaska, um, as the northern vice president. We have a past president in Tony Biolo at Wisconsin Rapids, and then a president-elect, Jason Gorst, out of Spencer Columbus up north. And so the, the five of us, along with our executive director, Dan Brunner, and obviously some coaches, too, um, that have been great in the, and really developed football in the state of Wisconsin, and Doug Sarver, John Hulk, Tom Zwiddle, you know, we all work together as an executive staff to really start to look at these issues. And, you know, start date is, is one of them, but that's a really complicated situation because there's just going to be a few things that Wisconsin – isn't necessarily looking to do in regards to extending the season later into November. Um, you know, I know we have some neighboring states that go into that weekend after Thanksgiving for their state tournament. Um, you know, obviously we want to continue to have our culminating event of our high school state championships at Camp Randall, right? So we have to make sure that we're working with the university to make sure that that's available. So there's just a lot that goes into these things. Um, and there's just a lot on the docket. You know, football-only conference realignment is a huge topic. We just had our whole state realigned again in regards to football-only conferences, which came out, I believe, in the spring of last year. And we have another big topic of conversation is uh, postseason uh, playoffs. You know, right now we have 224 teams that make it into the state playoffs for football. Every other sport in the state of Wisconsin has everybody make it. They have an all-in or an all-play type tournament where football is the only sport that you have to qualify for. And the qualification, you know, is 500 in the conference and, you know, records and things of that nature and we're electronically seated. But, you know, we have to look at that. Is that 
is that something that needs to be looked at from our from our head coaches and uh, our, our executive staff and the WIA about how we want to promote high school football in the state of Wisconsin and what's going to make it continue to prosper and grow. Yeah, that was actually one of my questions I had because I looked at uh, the questionnaire that uh, the State Journal had sent out to you and that was kind of uh, eye-catching for me. Is there anything, I guess, if you had the opportunity to change to the playoff format, uh, what would you change about it? It's a really good question. Um, you know, we, we're talking a lot about looking into different types of formats. The WIA has come up to us and, and started to present some different types of conversations and different types of systems. One of them would, would, would be an all-play, that all teams would get into the playoff system. Um, that would that's a possibility. That's uh, an idea out there. Uh, there's also ideas of okay, well, we're going to keep that 224 bracket uh, within the seven divisions and 32 teams. I think if I'm doing my math right, that adds up to 224. Is that you know you have 32 teams in divisions one through seven that bracket off a one through eight seed, and then you play it out to the state championship. But what about the teams that don't make it into that bracket? Are there opportunities for them? Uh, to continue to get games, right? Because if you really do look at it, you look at Monroe last year. Monroe had five extra weeks of practice. That's over half of a season of extra practices that teams that advance to the state playoffs get than teams that seasons are done after week nine. That's a significant advantage. Now, it's earned, don't get me wrong. Look, they're, they're earning that by winning playoff games. But the learning, the retention, the opportunities that those programs get to have additional practices and additional competitions, is that a benefit? One would say absolutely it is, right? One, one might say that. Um, but I think there's an opportunity there to say, okay, if you're not into the WIA bracket of 224 teams, then what are some ways that we can keep those teams participating maybe not for an extended period of time like the you know state championship level four level five but is there an opportunity to give those teams uh, another game or another two games so that they can do uh, maybe a pad system like that was another idea that was brought up look at regional grouping and see what teams in a certain area of the state didn't get into the get, didn't get into the 224 bracket and then try to pair them up and pair up like-minded records or like like schedules, I, sh- I should say. So you have a team that's three and six or two and seven. Is there another team around them that's at that level that they could get a good experience from and play? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't know the answer. I don't know if there's a for sure right answer on this. And our coaches and our coaches in the state have to really figure out as a group what do we feel is going to be best for for football moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll toss it back over to Peter and Ryan since we got under 10 minutes left here and uh, let them have any questions that they want to get off their chest. You know, Coach, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on the uh, everybody make it thing for a second just because, you know, I'm from Indiana. I played football in Indiana, and they have kind of that, that um, approach to it where everyone makes it. And I'll tell you right now, I've seen a lot of football games that didn't need to happen and a lot of 70 to zeros, almost 80 to zeros that didn't need to happen. So the, the seating system was really a breath of, of, a breath of fresh air when I moved up here and I saw that they kind of, you know, trimmed the fat as a way that I kind of saw it. Um, 
So I don't know if that adds anything to, you know, your thought process going on here. A study a little bit ago, Peter, and I'm not 100% certain on this, so I, I want to preface my comment by that. But I think at one point I came across a study or had a conversation with somebody that they did a they did a, some research and got some data on the point differential with a one seed taking on an eight seed in the 224 bracket, and I think it was a 30 plus point differential. And I've been on both sides of those. I've been a one seed in our brackets. Uh, and I've been an eight seed in the bracket, and uh, I was. Um, it's really a torn. It's really a torn thing. It's it's a torn thought. Um, you know, I, I went and played DeForest as an eight seed, and they were a one seed just a few years ago. They went on to win the state championship game, and I think it was a running clock. You know, early in the, by by second half, right? Um, I've had I've had that happen. Now, the one thing that is interesting that we've had as an option, and I know our coaches uh, around the state have really pushed this, is an opt-out option. Now, I don't really know the specifics of it, so I can't really speak directly to it, but my understanding is that if you're a team that, and we have it right now, actually, we have teams that opt out of the tournament because of whatever reason. So providing teams that could be a 16 seed or a 12 seed or whatever that's going to look like uh, in your divisional placement to give them that opportunity to opt out at a certain point in the season, probably towards the back end of the season, might allow us to get rid of some of those 80 to zero games, 70, because that's just not good for programs, right? I mean, kids walk off the field and they're devastated. And if I got a junior kid that just worked his butt off on the field that day, and he's walking off that field with a bitter taste in his mouth of a 55 or whatever it might be to seven victory or defeat, is he coming out next year? Is he motivated to come out? I I don't know the answer to that. Depends on the kid. But, you know, I, I clearly remember walking off that field at Mount Horeb getting, my, getting our butts kicked from them uh, probably five or so years ago, maybe more. And I looked at one of my coaches and I said, you know, these are the types of games that can really set programs back. And uh, they happen during the season too. Don't get me wrong. They happen during the season. But when it's the end, when it's the end game and the end result, that that's, makes it, I think, a little bit more challenging. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Peter, unless you had something you got, I got one more question for yeah, you, Paul. Go ahead. On a positive note, yeah, as much as I love talking about blowouts, um, but <laughs> you, I have a very effective whistle uh, that I have come to learn uh, about <laughs> over the years at McFarland. Uh, if you ever go to a McFarland game and a player does good, uh, you'll hear Ackley do three whistles, which normally is a sign of approval for the success. But if you hear him just do a one stern whistle, that's a kind of an attention getter. So my question is, Paul, where'd you learn how to whistle, and how'd you get so good at it? You know, that's that's a that's a common question sometimes, right? When I do do that, and I thank you for recognizing the difference of the three tone whistle <laughs> to the one tone whistle, or the three the three whistles to the one whistle. Uh, typically, our student sections, as the athletic director, hear the one whistle sometimes, <laughs> where they start a chant or a cheer that they know uh, isn't appropriate, uh, and we have a good time with our student sections. But um, 
where did I learn it? You know, that's a really good question. I think when I really started to do it was when I was teaching and coaching in Sun Prairie. Um, and I was, I was lucky enough to get the head track job at like, I, know, I think I was 27 years old or something like that, 28 years old. And uh, they took a chance on me to be the head women's track coach at Sun Prairie. Scott Nelson was the athletic director back then. And uh, I was hired and out on the track, Obviously, you have kids all over the place, right? I mean, you have kids down at the long jump, triple jump area, discus, shot put, high jump, on the track. They're just spread out. So the easiest way I found to get their attention was to whistle at them. And then it's all of a sudden like it would be, uh, you know. I... Oh, we have lost reception with Paul. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we will pause the podcast quick and go back in a moment. All right, we have Paul officially back on the line after a little technical difficulties. So, yeah, Paul, finish up that story, though. Yeah, so, I, you know, I, I started to coach track at Sun Prairie, but now as I'm telling the story, I also remember coaching track. I first started coaching track at McFarland in 1999. And it would just be a good way to get the kids' attention. You know, I, I, I would be across the track if they heard, you know, three whistles. Like, you know, I was kind of like, let's get going, you know, type of thing. And, and, and they're on the track running. Um, and so it, it I guess it's been kind of my trademark. How did I learn how to do it? I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I tell the story that if you're a gym teacher, which I was, a physical education teacher for so many years, it's one of the classes that you had to take at uh, lacrosse before you could get your diploma to be a teacher. You had to know how to whistle. Uh, I, wish I, I wish I could do it without putting my fingers in my mouth. But uh, some people have that talent, but I don't necessarily. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of become a theme of mine, but uh, it usually gets the kids' attention, so I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Cap City Sportscast for my colleagues Ryan and Peter. My name is Callahan Steed, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.